Okay. All right, so we thank our sponsors. Uh, Jonathan and Tamar Miller, who sponsored in memory, this, the whole series, in memory of Ted and Pauline Miller, Zechonim Levracha, Neshama Shavin Aliyah. And we thank also our monthly sponsors, Linda and Serge Merkin, commemorating the earth sites of Daniel ben Moshe Chaim, Esther Bas Yaakov Elazar, Miriam Bas Zeev, the Neshama Shavin Aliyah. We thank the Kram and Schaffner families, who have sponsored in memory of their grandparents on their earth sites, Shoshana Rezel Bas Davidov, Yitzchak Aryeh ben Harav Nachum, Harav Azriel ben Yosef Tuvia. Thank Leigh and Uriel Stern, who have sponsored a memory of their grandparents. Uh, Papa George Weiss, Zadie David Stavsky, Grandma Aggie Stern, Zadie Sam Stern, and Saba Sigi Weil. Shamo should have an aliyah. And finally, we thank Michal Ogins, who sponsored in honor of the shining light from Shirat Avid and the Gula Shlema for all of Kla Yisrael. Beautiful. Okay. So, really, big... Uh, I should call to everybody for coming. Um, I would have been. I could have just recorded it by myself in my house and sent it out to everybody. But that's. But okay. God, it's amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. No. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. But really, thank you. I appreciate it, and it, it's uh, just amazing. So we we have to. We can't stop in the middle of of, of the seventeenth parak of Shmuel Aleph. Hey guys, grab over here. Can't stop in the middle. It's uh, it's too amazing. So we're up to the battle. We're up to the battle itself. And just, just to go through it quickly here in source number one, big picture, before we dive in a little bit deeper. So, biado. So, David takes his staff in his hand, and then he chooses, he takes five smooth stones out of the, uh, out of the brook, out of the nachal, and he puts them in his uh, shepherd's bag. Um, Right, so he just—he's got a sling, he's got some rocks and a staff, and he goes off to face the scariest man who ever lived. <laughs> kind of, kind of unbelievable. <laughs> Why do we care that there are five? Where do we care that they were smooth? It is a good question, right? Because he doesn't really need all of them, as we see. That's well, we'll see soon, right? He doesn't. But smooth, right? There, well, I guess there may be. Right, is there a deeper teaching there? I mean, maybe I guess aerodynamic. It's going to be right in terms of. Well, I think about when you skip on the water, right? Skip on the water, right? That's probably more our experience as opposed to slingshotting. Giants, but but yeah, I imagine it's for that reason. But what is there significance to number five? Probably, uh, even though we're going pretty in depth. I mean, we're doing a whole class on half a chapter. Uh, even so, we're only scratching the surface, right? That's just, like it, that's what's so amazing about these chapters. Like I can't can't get to all of this. Um, I'm trying to strike a balance between, on the one hand, I want to spend my whole life in one chapter, and on the other hand, that I want everybody to leave. So we <laughs> have to try to balance. So. But it's a very good question. It's a very good question. So the Plishti comes closer and closer to David. Um, and the man who's carrying his shield before him, right, remember he's weighed down by thousands of pounds of, of, of metal of every type, covered in metal. So he, see, he looks and he sees David, and he disdains him, right? He was insulted. Right? He was expecting, where's Shaul HaMelech, right? The tall Jew. He's not like me, but at least he's a tall Jew. He's a worthy opponent, right? Um, and he sees a kid. He's really a kid. It's crazy. And again, we see that he's, that he's, you know, he's the reddish with, the, he's Admoni like Esav, but with beautiful eyes. But here it says he's, he's good looking. Um, so the Plishti says to David, right? Am I a dog? That you're coming to me with, uh, with sticks. Right. So he does, he's not holding a sword. He's not, he's not coming with weapons. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And he curses David by his idol. Right. Maybe it's probably Dagan, right, if we, right, who is the, uh, right, the, the idol of the, uh, not, not the hill, right, the idol of the Plishtim, the one that fell on his face. Right. If you remember way back at the beginning of Sefer Shmuel. Uh, Dagon, Dagon, uh, not Dagon. I don't want to, God forbid, confuse our holy hill with, uh, with, the, with the Plishti God. Especially after the article. Yeah, yeah, especially after the article. <laughs> Forget it. Um, those are not women you want to mess around with. Eve Harrow, Nadia Matam, not, you know, not, not, not. So, Vayomer Plishti, right? So, he's, he's like, after cursing him, he says to David, Lechai laivet not besarcha. So come to me, and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the sky and to the beasts, the behemoth of the field. Right? So it's, it's like a war. It's a war of words here. They're having a, it's an insult fest, right? I mean, you're like, you're half expecting, 
David Amelech to like to do a yo mama joke right now. Like I, it's like crazy, right? I'm saying, what's going on? Get to the war. Get to the battle. So Vayomer David, but no, David responds and he says to the plishti, "Ata ba'ilai becherev uvachanit vechidon." You come to me with a sword, a spear, a javelin. Vanochi ba'ilecha b'shem Hashem tzvakot. I come to you in the name of Hashem. Mm-hmm. Elokei marachot Yisrael asher cherafta, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have taunted. Right? David was so, we talked about this last week, he was so angry, furious. In the name of Hashem. He's right. quoting Hashem. You know, you, because remember, Goliath was not just attacking the Jews and, scream, and, and insulting the Jews, he was insulting our God. He was insulting Hashem. Right? It was not just a physical right, threat, but he was, he was in a spiritual way taunting us and taunting Hashem. Uh, and that already, right, that, that, that's what put David over the edge and made him, made him volunteer. So, Hashem biyadi this day Hashem will deliver you into my hand and I will kill you. I will remove your head from your body. And I'm going to give the carcasses, not just of you, but of all these other plishtim, right, to the birds. Okay, tough language. Right? So it makes me think, you know, when, when, when Bibi, you know, threatens Iran like every three days, like for the last many years, right? That's what they do, right? They, like the threats, the back and forth, the talk, this is what I'm thinking of, right? Only this, only Dove's is much better. It's much, uh, it's much more raw, you know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your head off your body. I'm going to feed it to birds of the sky. Like we should say that to the Ayatollahs, right? <laughs> and all of the land will know that there is a God in Israel, right? Because again, it keeps coming back to that, right? Dove is sure. And the only way he can be sure Right? I, I think, that, and this is what's amazing, right? How can he be sure? It's because of the spirit of Hashem that's within him, right? And that's the spirit of Hashem that came to him, that he got from Shmuel on that day, that allowed him to tear apart the lion that came after his, right? I'm saying, there's, it, it, otherwise it wouldn't work, right? I, is, how could he possibly be so, right, confident. so confident? Are we really supposed to be so confident that Hashem is going to perform miracles on our behalf? It's like those people get the adrenaline rush who you hear that they lift up a car, Right, or like that. Like it, but it's almost it's like permanent for David Hamelach, right? It's become right. This is what Shaul had, and now it's what he has. It's it, it is amazing. Otherwise, how could it possibly be? Um, it's 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 really something. So so he says. So everyone will know, right? And again, he says, right, that people will know that not with a sword and not with a spear will Hashem save us. This is Ela uh, Varechev. I know this one. I, I say it all the time because it's my name. You know, at the end of Shmuel Esrei, Eliezer is Ela Varechev, Ela Besusim, Venachnu B'Shem Hashem Elokeinu Naskir. Right? It's not about the Rechev and the Susim. We saw, we learned that in the Six Day War. Right? They outnumbered us again, and the same thing in 1948. Right? We have to remember that. And, and now, when we seem to be losing a lot, we have a much stronger army than everybody else. Right? Ever notice that? When all the miracles happened in 48 and 67, we were outnumbered. Mm-hmm. And yet now, when we could, if we wanted to, in theory, we could remove every Arab from this land in two weeks, right? But it doesn't happen, right? Because it's not about Rechev and Susim. It's not, right? It's a, there's something deeper that's it's about Hashem. This is a key point. We don't have to go to, and no Mephorshim, just David is saying it over and over and over again, understanding that war is in Hashem's hands. To finally, after Pesach, how many Pesachim we just had of insulting back and forth, uh, the Plishti gets up, David, he comes to get close to David, to just, to, to, he figures, wipe him out with one, one quick blow. flick of the sword and the, of the blow. David, and David starts running. He runs towards the Plishti. As a total wimp, it's like hard for me to relate to this at all. I, I'd like, if you imagine running, like I'd be running the other direction, right? <laughs> and he puts his hand as he's running into the bag. And he takes out a, a good stone. And he slings it. And he hits him right in the forehead. Probably the, one of the only parts of his body that's not covered in armor. And, he, and it hits so hard that it's sunk into his forehead. Which is... Uh, Astounding. And he fell, you know, on, you know, upon his face to the earth. Anyone first notice shot. any? What? First shot. First shot. One shot and done. Boom. But he should have fallen backward, not forward. While moving. Usually while moving. Mean? While running. I mean, this he's, is not. Well, that's why like fell this. Ah. So this is, a, this is a question. When I was in Texas, like back in November, 
I was at somebody's house, like at a Christian family's house, and we were like having a meeting. And out of nowhere, the guy's like, he goes, can we just stop talking business for a moment? He goes, why did Goliath fall forward and not backwards? <laughs> because the inertia of his weight, he was running towards yeah, David. Ah, forward. And That's David's right. got a little sling. I mean, he's still going with all his weight But if weight it sinks forward, into his head deeply, it, it it's a good Shiloh. It it's a good Shiloh. You know, you have to think about this, right? We'll come back in a moment. We'll come back a little bit. We've got to put this in context. Uh-huh. But this guy, this Christian guy thought, you know, it was interesting. Like, out of nowhere. He was like, it was like, it was burning him, right? It was like, like, like uh, you know, like Rosolovechik, uh, Havdil. Rosolovechik, like when he had a, something un, that was not concluded in the Shear and the Gemara. It wasn't resolved that he like couldn't sleep all night. This guy was like waiting for the Jew to show up to ask him about the Goliath, which why was he falling forward and not backwards? That's not scholarly. It was before I, had, I was learning this. I was like, uh, okay. It could be maybe it shows you how it was Mina Shemaim. Like, yeah. This was not human intervention. So definitely, so definitely I agree. There's no, I think that's for sure the, uh, the simplest and clearest explanation. We'll try to go a little deeper, but place it in context. Let's just finish quickly. So, so David prevails over the plishti with a sling and with a stone. But then he falls, right? So then he goes over to him and, he kill, and then he fully kills him, right? He may not have been dead yet, right? He had the stone lodged in his head and he falls to the ground, um, you know, and... So, but like, I don't know exactly, right? He's, he, maybe, maybe, maybe that, does that mean is at the, at the beginning through the stone? I'm not 100% sure. Um, I guess without the cherev, right? Because he, he had no sword. But then he runs over. And then it says he kills him again by cutting off his head. So I'm not sure if he died from the stone, from falling on his face, or from, or from the sword. But either way, by the end, he's pretty darn dead, right? His head is, his head is lopped off. Right, I mean, it's crazy. Also, to fall like that, face forward, could kill could kill people, right? I mean, that's you know. So there are three ways he could have died, right? Oh, the way to the helmet and everything too, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, way. I mean, he must have crashed down like uh, it must have been a sight to see, right? All of the people and all of the Jewish armies watching from the other hill, right? They're watching them in between, right? They're watching down at like the, at this battle between the two of them. So then, so then the plishtim see that their their gibor is dead, and they and they run. So they, they get up and they shout. They chase the plishtim and They go all the way to the gates of Ekron, which is all the where, where they live. If you remember, Ekron is one of their main cities. So they chase them all the way back home, out of Jewish territory, back to plishti territory. Um, they bring right. They, they're killing them, and they're and there's like wounded. It's a, you push know, them all the way, all the way back till to, to, to they get back to their place, to their land. So they return from chasing after the plishtim, meaning they do not. This is not like a, the plishtim are finished, right? They're, they are the enemy that keeps coming back, right? We'll see them again um, throughout the rest of Shmuel Aleph. But they're meant to be servants now to Israel because of the. The, that was the, deal. the agreement, the deal. The deal. Right. Ah, so the deal was not was not followed. As we'll come, we'll come to that. The deal was not followed. Remember, it was supposed to be just two people fight. One person dies, and then that's it. We don't have to kill anybody else. And then all of a sudden, the Jews start chasing them and killing them. Right? We didn't we didn't keep the agreement. Okay, we'll come to that. So David takes the head of the plishti, and he brings him to Yerushalayim. That Kelav Asam but and he but he put his armor in his tent. He takes it and he stashes away Goliath's armor, including his sword, which comes back later. So, a lot of questions here. Also, Yerushalayim, what's up with Yerushalayim? He said he was going to do that. He told Shaul, or did he say earlier he was going to take his head and bring it to Yerushalayim? He didn't say to Yerushalayim. Okay. He said he's going to bring it. You know, he's going to kill him, but he didn't say that to Yerushalayim. We have to come back to that also. Yerushalayim is is still a non-entity. Among Am Yisrael. So, what is this talking about, Yerushalayim? Where was Shaul's palace at the time? Right, it was in his. It was in uh, Binyamin. It was a city in Binyamin. Giva, like it was like he had his place in Binyamin. Um, we know Shiloh is no longer a thing, unfortunately. Right, it was destroyed. Right. Um, Yerushalayim is not yet is not yet an important place. I mean, it, this is like one of the first places that Yerushalayim comes up in the entire t- in all of Tanakh. Maybe it's. So, so we got to come back to this, right? The Mepharshim have a field day with this, right? As you can imagine, because this is out of place. This doesn't seem to make any sense. So very, well, there's a lot to, to unpack over here, just these few psukim. 
I feel like, I, you know, but it's, but it, it, I mean, I just, the, the rawness of it, like we don't, we're like a little shocked by this today, you know, that he would lop off his head and he's carrying his head with the blood dripping out of his neck. But, you know, this was, this was David Amelech, a side of David Amelech, we shouldn't forget, he's Admoni. David Amelech has, has that quality, the strength of Esav in him, but with Yufei Einayim, right? He, he's for a holy purpose. But isn't that what Philistine did to Shoal's head? So, yeah. So, look, this is the world that they lived in, right? The dog, this is like a, it's a scary world, right? And that's what a lot of the people say today also that we have to remember. Are we playing by the same rules as them? Or are we playing by, we're playing by different rules, which is how they're able to defeat us a lot of the time. We're stronger than them, but we're playing by different rules. They, they don't play by rules, right? And yet, so we, these, are, these are the questions that, you know, that come up as we're learning this. Um, to modern people, this stuff sounds very, uh, very raw. Okay, so just to go, to go back to the beginning again, right? Just, uh, he, he takes this staff. We don't generally think of David Amelech with a staff. Right? That's more of a, uh, you, you know, like, like a Moshe Rabbeinu thing. What, is that, what does that make us think of? So if you look at number two, who else has, has his maklobiado? Right? It's Yaakov. Uh, it's Yaakov Avinu. Right? He says, Katonti mikola chasadim, mikola hamet, right? The famous uh, Yoratan Rezel song, Asher asita avdecha, that you have, he says to Hashem, right? You've done so much good for me. Ki v'makli avarti etayardein hazeh. All I had, says Yaakov, was my makli, my, my staff. That's all I had. I, came, I went with nothing, right? He was... Poverty stricken, right? The, the Chazal tell us that Eliphaz took everything from him, Esav's son. He was totally poverty stricken. All he had was his staff. And now he comes back. I mean, he's overflowing with family, with children, with wealth. With, it's unbelievable, right? So, you know, Yaakov is saying that, you know, me and my staff, we passed, I passed over the Jordan. And, and when you think of Yaakov Avinu going, running away from Esav as he's heading towards Lavan's house, right? From one evil person to another, when you think about his great aloneness, his loneliness, right? He's completely by himself. It's Yaakov Avinu and Hashem, right? And he has that moment, that awesome moment, right? On Har Moriah, right? That he didn't know that he, where he was, what an awesome place where he was. And Hashem, you know, the incredible, most incredible vision of his life, he has at that moment when he's completely alone by himself and he only has Hashem with him. There's a bit of a parallel here too. David HaMelech, everybody's terrified. It's only a kid, all by himself, going off to face the scariest person on the planet, all by himself with his makel. Right? There's an illusion here that Shmuel Hanavi is giving us, right? connecting this moment to David. This is why it's so incredible like, you know, that we are fortunate enough to know Hebrew. This is because like, I'm teaching Christians all the time. They would never, ever see any of these things. They can't because they get translations. And then they, and the, the same Hebrew word is translated in four different ways. And then it's translated again from Greek to Latin to English or whatever. Who knows? They get what, what they get by the end of it, right? I mean, like they can't see these, these illusions. It's just a small thing. This is not a big shear, but it's just, you know, Shmuel Hanavi is, is bringing that image of, 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 of Yaakov and, and that aloneness. But then Hashem is with him in such an incredibly powerful way, just like Hashem is with David when he's there alone up against Goliath. But, but on to this incredible, strange war of words, right? Yes, eventually David kills Goliath with a stone to the head. But how many psukim do we have here of them insulting each other? Right? I mean, it's, it's amazing how much the back and forth, this back, this, the, the war of words here, right? It, it seems to be more important than the fighting. We're told about the fighting for a pasuk or two, right? He runs, he hits him in the head, he falls, he dies, he cuts off his head. It's over. And the war of words, pasuk after pasuk after pasuk, right? I mean, it, it's, it's really, really interesting, right? You would expect a giant who's covered in armor with a sword and a spear to walk into battle, just make mincemeat of his opponent. He'd been waiting for 40 days for some Jew to show up to have enough guts to fight him. And yet, the first thing he does is start getting into, a, into like a hissy fit, like a, like a you know, war of words with each other. What's going on here? Right? So obviously, we're meant to learn something. Now, if you look at Memdalad, I'm not sure if anyone noticed this as we went through the Psukim. Mm-hmm. What, is, what does Goliath say? Yeah, I was going to say, the, 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 he uses the same words back at him. It's like, I'm going to do this to you. No, I'm going to do this to you. So, yeah. but, but however, a little, but, he, but he does it better. Yeah. David wins the Yomama fight, okay? <laughs> How so? Because look at Memdalad. What does the Plishti say? You know, come over, come over here, and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the heavens. And to the animals of the field. That's the wrong language, right? I know. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book now with Akiva Gersh, if anyone knows Akiva. 
Um, so we're writing a book together for we call the 75 Hebrew words you need to know to understand the Bible. So I just did I just did behema, right? Behema is very different than chaya, right? Behema are domesticated animals. Cows don't eat people. They don't eat flesh, right? They eat grass. So Goliath is here saying that the cows are going to eat your, the goats are going to eat you, David. It doesn't make any sense. So I have to wonder what language they were conversing in. Right. It is interesting, right? They're two different nations. That is true. What language are they conversing in? Although, I guess Pshat is that, that, that he knew Hebrew. I don't know, maybe, because they live next to each other. Right. It's not so crazy. I mean, they're Arabs, you know, the guys in Rabbi Levi, they talk to right. you in Hebrew. You know, so these guys live next door, like the Plishtim are right there. Um, so maybe he knew Hebrew. So, so what does Rashi say about this? Animals, you know, like this, domesticated animals don't eat people. Amar David, so David hears this and he says, Right, his mind's, not, his mind's off, right? He's already thrown off his game, right? Probably got nervous. He probably would have been more confident had he seen some, reg, some six-foot, you know, Jewish soldier with, with a sword, right? He would have known what he was dealing with. He comes and he sees a kid with, with like a staff, he got very, he got a little nervous, right? And now we're reading, understanding what's going on here. Goliath got thrown off. And so he's, his whole, his insults weren't making any sense. So he says, He belongs to me. I've got him. So then David comes and says in response, And David uses the right words. And he says, we're going to give, right? We're going to kill your people. And they're going to be eaten by the birds and by the animals, the right animals, the wild animals. Right? In those days, there were still, right? remember David had just killed a lion a few weeks earlier? Right? There were still lions in Israel, wild animals like that. I learned all this at the Rabbi Slifkin Museum, that biblical museum. You guys ever, ever go? One of the, the most fascinating piece that came out of that visit to the biblical museum, uh, which, by the way, they have, like, often have cheap tickets, I think, here if you're, because we're Olim, you can get it like, really cheap. Um, the coolest thing that came out of that was the changing animals in, in Israel. Like, like the, the terrain has changed. <coughs> Like if you read a lot of, later on in Shmuel, like the battles that go on, there are forests in the Shomron. Like there are no forests in the Shomron. Like because Israel was deforested and we're still dealing with that. But there were forests back then. And there were, there were lions, wild animals like that that don't exist in Israel anymore. It's not static. It's fascinating. But there were, right, the whole story of Shimshon with the lion mm-hmm. also, right? There are lions. But there are no lions today. I, mean, I can't say I'm that upset, you know. <laughs> But not encountering lions on a teul, but but right, but it's interesting, right? Just as a side point, but David, right? He, he uses the right the right insults. Okay, so Goliath stumbles on his words, but why is that so significant, right? What, let's understand Rashi, like the fact that he's you know confusing his words. Why does that matter? This is what I, I'm thinking about this because this whole, I'm really fascinated by this war of words between the two of them. And especially also what we talked about last week, the words that David was using, the words of pride, made all the difference, right? That way he changed the conversation, the tone of the conversation. The words matter, right? The whole sticks and stones may break my bones and names will never hurt me is the stupidest thing. But if you think of a bully, a bully starts to stutter when somebody stands up to him, right? As long as you don't stand up to him, then he just keeps going and going. His words get stronger and stronger. But as soon as you stand up to a bully... You throw him off, right. You throw him off. So yeah. he was the bully. It's interesting, yes. right. And, and, and he was able to throw him off. It is fascinating. You're right. That's a good point. That's a great insight. He also believed in the mother's of us. So maybe he thought it was like a wizard or something coming at him with a sword. <coughs> and not right. No, no visible weapon that he could understand. That's right. I'm, he must have been... I, I, I'd say really spooked out. Like, what are they sending a kid up against me? Like, he had fought in many wars. Right, and he said that. We, love, we saw it in the Pesukim in the first half of the Barak when he's insulting Am Yisrael from across the mountains, right, one mountain to the other. Right, he's like, I've fought many, you know, many wars, right? You know, and Chazal, right, he was just, I'm just a regular guy. I'm not even, I've killed many people, but I'm still not even an officer, right? I'm just a regular guy. And you don't, you don't have nobody who can face me, a regular soldier, says Goliath, right? So he's fought many before. He was not phased by those earlier battles, but seeing David, it's something that's throwing him off. It's like the Prekavot of like, too many words and no action versus a lot of action and no words. It's like you see it. Like all he does was talking. That's, That's right. He did. And like in a second, he was gone. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's really, really, really interesting. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot here. This is, you know, we, 
I, I feel like this is the first time in my life I've ever really slowed down. You know, you want to, with, with stories like this, there, there's an inclination to keep going, you know, like who's going to get, who's going to kill who next, you know, as, as, especially when you're younger. But as you get older, you begin to realize that there's so much in each and every word. So this is where I think you know, we, can, we can go back to, to the, the question of, of, of Goliath falling forwards as opposed to backwards. Who else <laughs> fell forwards instead of backwards? Number four, the beginning of Sefer Shmuel. We learned already many months ago. Right? Not Dagon. Dagon, the god of the Philistines, fell forward on its face. Right? Before the Aron of Hashem. Right? And his head is cut off also. Right? There's a clear connection between the giant of the Philistines and the god of the Philistines. They both fall forward face first, right? Because this is not merely a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. As we were saying last week that, that Goliath was insulting the God of Israel. Falling on the face, right, is, is right, like I fall before you, right? Like almost like, okay, the Aaron wins, right? David wins. The Jewish people win. The God of Israel wins. This falling down on its head and crashing, right? The head is what falls and the head is what is cut off as well. We don't generally find that it's a Jewish way in war that we cut off people's heads, right? I mean, is there any, I, I don't know. I don't know Tanakh well enough, but I, I can't think of, there's not like a thing that we do, right? Maybe that's what the, what the British did in Braveheart, you know, and putting, putting heads on sticks or something. That's not a Jewish way. Ah, very good. And which is, we can make a connection there also because the Greeks, it was a battle of the spirit, right? Even more so than a battle of the, of the body. Right? It wasn't like the Romans, right? It was more the, the Greeks, right? So the cutting off of the head is a symbolic thing that, you know, our head wins, right? The head of the Jewish people wins and not the head, not the spirit of the Plishtim. We have Esau's head, which from Naftali, or the son of Naftali. So, no, not Naftali. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Chushim and Dan, right, and the head of Esau. That's very good. That's very, very good. So if you look at Sota, Gemara, look at Gemara, Sota, Goliath, right? Goliath, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, She'amad begilui panim. Goliath is gilui panim, with, with arrogance and insult, Lifnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu, before Hashem. She'amar, Berulacham ish v'yarad elai, ve'ein ish ela HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's as if Goliath was saying, send your God to come and fight against me. She'amar, Hashem ish milchama. Right? Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Hashem says, Hareini mapilu al yodei ben ish. Right, David ben Ishefrati has it. So Hashem says, "I'm going to send David to kill him." Right, but but Goliath here. What's most interesting is the first part. Right, we know David comes and kills him, but the first part, right, which is that Goliath was taking on Hashem himself, and so to just kill him in a regular way was not enough. Right, Goliath had to be killed, and he had to die. He had to fall forward on his face, and his head had to be cut off in order to send the message to the Plishtim, but equally as important to the people of Israel themselves. Right, that that uh, this is not. You know, their God versus our God. We all have gods and we're all, you know, equal gods. The God of this nation, the God of that nation. No, no, no. Our God is like no other God. <laughs> we, have a, we are the God of gods. That's it. Right? He was attacking Hashem himself. Says Abar Benel, Hashivu David, Vanochi ba'ilecha b'shem Hashem tzvakot. I'm coming to you in the name of Hashem. That's what's so significant here. Klamar ani ba kishlicho. I'm coming as Hashem shliach. Right? David is Hashem's Chabad uh, Shaliach. Right? I'm coming to fight you as Hashem's Shaliach. It's as if Hashem is here right now, because we know Shlucho Shal Adam Kamosa, right? That a Shaliach is as if you. It's like an extension of yourself. Right? This is the battle. It's really this, this, this battle with, between Goliath and, and Hashem. So, where did this hatred of God come from? Right? Why, why does Goliath want to, why does he hate the God of the Jews so much? Right, so, this, and already people were bringing this up last week, but I saved it for this week. Right? We know that, according to Chazal, Goliath is not some standard brute who just happened to grow a few feet taller. And that's why he's so special. Right? Goliath is much more important. He's the great-grandson of Orpah, of Orpah, which makes him cousins with David HaMelech. Right? David descends from Ruth, and according to Chazal, right, he descends from from Orpah. So let's remember the story of Orpah. But Tomer, right, this is the, the key moment, one of the most amazing moments in all of history. Where I talk about the, the, should I stay or should I go, right? And Ruth goes, and then all of our whole, the whole history of Am Yisrael and the whole world is changed from this one decision, you know, about a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. It's like one of the more astounding things. But Tomer Nami, Shovna Vinotai, she says, go back. 
Don't call, my daughters, go back. Why are you going to come with me? I don't know. Do I have any more sons in my stomach, in my, in my womb for you? So Shovna Benotai Lechna, go back. I'm too old. I'm not going to have any more kids. Right? We're going to tarry for them. You know, till they, till, even if I have kids, would you wait till they grow up? Go back, go back. The next page, Vatisena Kolan Vatifkena Ot. Right? So they lift up their voice, they, uh, their voice, they cry. And then what do we find? Vatishak Orpa Lachamota. Orpa kisses Naomi and leaves, but Ruth Davkaba, Ruth cleaves to her. Right? She holds on, right? And says, Do not tell me to leave. I'm not leaving you. Right? Even though Naomi says, Go, go with your sister, your sister, go, 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 your sister-in-law. No, no, no. Right? So this is the key moment. So Orpa says the Zohar, uh, Harafa Shema. Really, her name was Harafa. Lama nikra Shema Orpa. Why was she called Orpa? Shehechzira Oref Lachamota. Because she turned her, her neck to her mother-in-law. Bechazralim Komaliste Moav. And went back to the fields of Moav. But when she went back there, Zanta Velo Kabdua, right? She immediately went the complete opposite direction. This is like a very powerful thing, right? She, like she went to the opposite extreme by turning away from, from Naomi in a life of holiness and Kedusha which is what that, a life with Naomi would have been. And she had initially had a little bit of that inclination. She wanted to go with her. But then something sent her away. She decided, no, this wasn't for me. And she went to the opposite extreme. As sometimes happened, right? I think we all know, I, you know, I know guys like this from when I was growing up. You know, they were wearing, they flipped out, we're wearing black hats. We were 13 years old. And then they're like making siyumim. And, you know, now they're not religious. Like it was like a very, it got very extreme back and forth, right? And it happened sometimes. So she, but then she goes back to Moab and she immediately starts prostituting herself to all sorts of men. She becomes a prostitute. She like, like, and a dog. And a dog. I was just about Which to say. is why Goliath probably said, self conscious about what his ancestors did, Am I a dog? Am I a dog? That's fascinating, right? Wow. It's wild, wow. right? Very good. So she couldn't, she couldn't even stay there because she like, <laughs> they didn't want her there anymore. I guess Moab had some self respect, right? So they, they didn't accept her. So, Vahachala Eretz Plishtim. So she goes to the land of the Plishtim, and that's where she has uh, her children, her great-grandson, let's say, is Goliath. Okay? Kind of amazing, right? So she goes back, she goes back to, and joins the Plishtim. Gemara and Sota. Darash Rava, Bishar Arba, Dma'ot, Shehorida, Orpa, Alchamota. Because of the four tears, I didn't know there was four, but it says that she cried, right? She had four tears, so she, had, she merited to have four giborim that came from her. Right, because right? they both cried. And who are these four sons? Laharafa, uh, where that's her real name, Harafa, not Orpa. Um, so, at Arbat Ela, you'll do Laharafa Begat, David, And David and his, uh, and his people, his servants, they all, they, they killed all four of them. So, my Ninhu, right, who are they? Omer of Chista, Saf, Umadon, Galyat, Vyishbi. David, right, they killed them. Vatishak or right, it's, uh, right, it's, uh, also here, not just the Zohar, but also in the in Sota, it's explicit that it comes from that, that Goliath comes from Orpa. Vatishak or Palachamotav Rutav Kaba Amar Rav Yitzchak. Rav Yitzchak says, Amar Akadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem says, Yavo Bnei Hanishuka VYiplu Biyad Bnei Hadivuka. I love the way it comes out in the Gemara. Right, right. Come those who are the the sons of the one who gave the kiss. Orpa gave the goodbye kiss to her mother-in-law and left, and they should fall in, you know, into the hands of, of the sons of the Devuka, the one who attached herself, Ruth, who attached herself to Naomi. Right? Orpa's kiss was superficial. It was a goodbye kiss, but for Ruth, she held on to Naomi with all of her strength. So Rav Bachrach, he says, right, Beneshika Ha'alemet, right? He says, like, this violent kiss. I thought that was a great phrase. Right, here Gisha Naomi. Even in the even as as her daughter-in-law is kissing her, Naomi felt and sensed right that that Orpa was going to go far, far away in the other direction. She could sense from the way that kiss was given over. I think, and he's and he's interpreting here a little bit poetically what what Chazal tell us because I didn't understand how to like it sounded so. I love this line, right? But. You know, what does that mean, though, right? It's such a beautiful way of saying it. Um, and I, and like he, he, gives it, he gives that Gemara a little bit of life, right? He says that, like, she could already sense in that kiss 
that she was, uh, that, that, that it was not a kiss of love, but it was, a, it was like almost like a spiteful kiss. Well, didn't Asaph kiss Yaakov? Right, right. Exactly. That's very good. Okay. On fire here tonight. That's very good, right. The kisses, right. And, and I, you know, there's, this sounds like a very Rav Shlomo Karabach thing to talk about. He loved to talk, talk about the kisses, you know, like the kiss that, uh, that Yitzchak gave to Yaakov. Yaakov gave over to Rachel. You know, and all the, like the kisses are very significant that we find. You know, open displays of affection in, in Torah and Tanakh, some of them being very authentic and some of them being quite the opposite, right? And like, it's like we find in, in certain words, like this is, um, what's his name? The, 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 he's from near Israel. He's the, the big Tanakh, the, the beast that crouches at the door. Oh, um, Foreman. Yeah, Rabbi Foreman. Is, this is like his expertise. You know, I have to go back and read all of his books again. But, uh, but you know, like the word arum, the, the nachash is arum. He's, he's deceitful. Arum is also naked, which is the opposite of deceit. Uh, the same word can be total opposite meanings. He's got lots of words like that. It's fascinating. It'll, it changes the way that that whole book was about, about Adam and Chava and the Nachash. Right? It's just amazing. The beast that crashes at the door. But he does this with all of, every time he's learning, he's always showing how the same word has, can have opposite meanings and very similar. And it's a really fascinating. So the, the kisses here have opposite meanings. What? He did a great one on Queen Esther. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Now all of his stuff, he's, a, he's, a real, he's the real deal. He's the real deal. So, but it's just, I just thought this was like the two, the two kinds of kisses I think is really amazing. Right? Your, your sister-in-law has gone, you know, you know, so she says to, to Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back to her nation and to her gods, right? Meaning she already knew, right? Eloha, right? It wasn't just that it was hard for her to leave her family. She knew already that Orpah wasn't going to go back to Moab and be a nice, you know, from convert, <laughs> In Moab, right? She could sense already from the kiss. She could sense, which is an amazing reading of the pasuk. Kohan nifrad minatov. Whoever leaves the good, right? Bechazaka who nifrad, right? It's like you leave, like with a, like almost like an anger, like a, like a strength. And you go in, in the opposite way. And who else, who who's related to Orpa, did exactly the same thing? Goliath. Earlier, I think earlier. Who does exactly the same thing? Where does Orpah come from? Orpah, they come from. She comes from Moab. They come from Moab. Who comes from? Lot. Lot. From Lot. Lot. Lot was a good guy. He kept Avram's secret. He was close to Avram. He was good. And he, and right. And then what happens? He doesn't just leave Avram. He he goes to Sodom, the most evil place on earth. The same thing. It's playing out again. Or with Orpah is not is doubling down and making worse the sin of Lot, who turned away from Avram the good and couldn't and went in a bad direction. But he, he himself didn't become fully bad, right? He still didn't you know he didn't want to give up on the Malach, but he was willing to give up his daughter. <laughs> like he, he was he didn't go all the way. Orpah went all the way, and Ruth, however, took the good from Lot and goes completely the opposite direction. She does she sticks with when it's hard, right? It was hard with Lot and Avram always being in his shadow. Can't imagine it was easy for Ruth going with Naomi, right? So, but she goes and she is fixing the sin of Lot who leaves Avram. So Orpah goes in one extreme, right? Lot was in the middle. Orpah goes in one extreme and Ruth goes in the other, right? And Goliath is the descendant of Orpah who is the worst, right? The, all the klipa, the worst, the evil that came from Lot that was expounded upon by Orpah is now like in its full essence in Goliath, right? This is a battle... Right, not just of, uh, of, of David and Goliath. This is a battle of two worlds, right? Of generations going up against each other, right? It's a deep and it's an old battle. Um, you know, the Plishtim are people who are aware of Hashem's promise of Eretz Yisrael to Am Yisrael. They're very aware of this. They lived right next door to them. They understood, they, they knew what the Aron Habrit was, right? And, like, and they were afraid of it. Like these, the, the, these were people who were intimately familiar with each other. They were the other, Right? Like Israelis know Arabs, right? They don't know Christians. That's why Americans have to deal with the Christians, right? They don't know, they, they know the Arabs, right? They know, they know each other. And Arabs know the Jews, like they know. Like, and, and it's part of the, this, the, the pain of what we're dealing with is that we're so, these are two enemies that we live amongst each other. We're very aware, right? So it's the same thing here. The Plishtim knew and, and rejected it anyway, rejected our sovereignty, right? It doesn't matter what God says. Says Goliath, we are more powerful than you. We're more powerful than you, right? That, that's his, right? I mean, it's here in Shemot. It's like, it's, it's like very clear why we have to get rid of the people from the land, 
because we're going to fall in. I'm not going to read through all the psukim now, but this is, it's, you know, they, should, they cannot dwell in the land because they will trip you up, right? So you'll fall into thinking like them that the land doesn't belong to you. If you leave them here, right, they'll convince you, which they've convinced a lot of the Jews today that the land doesn't belong to us. So the falling on the face of the idol Dagon, of Dagon and also of Goliath represents a collapse of the Plishti worldview, right? And the whole worldview of Orpah. Right, and that's why Goliath's head, it's so significant, right, that he had to cut off his head and to take his head. We have it, we cut it off, it doesn't exist anymore. But there's even more here, right? In the exchange between David and Goliath, if you go back, right, if you, you, you look, you'll see, what, what does Goliath keep talking about? In the very beginning, he talks about all of his weapons, right? I've, I'm coming, I've got all these weapons, and what have you got? And then David says... Lo becherev uvechanit Yehoshia Hashem. Right? If it's very, this is pshat, right? There, there's something very significant here. They're arguing about weapons. Right? Goliath says, I'm going to kill you because I have weapons. David says, the weapons ain't going to save you. That's not a, it's not about the weapons. Right? This is, right, Goliath is the man of sword and spear, and David is not. So that's clear, right? We know the, the plishtim, they put their faith in their strength. But where does it get more interesting? It's not just the plishtim. Who else puts his faith on the Jewish side in his sword and in his strength? It's Shaul. Right? He's constantly referred to in the Navi as a man of the sword and the spear. So look at 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. It's like one after the other. I brought all these psukim here. We don't have to, but it's all about Shaul. Right? They didn't know, right? The first Pasuk, they didn't, there was no, nobody had a sword except Shaul did. Shaul's the only Jew with a sword and a spear. And the next pasuk, Chanit biyad Shaul. There's a spear in Shaul. We're going to get to all this. Vayatal Shaul et Chanit. He's got the spear. Vatihi roch Hashem ra'ra Chanito biyado. Right? David was like a constant target later on, as we'll see. But he's constantly he sits there holding his spear all day. Who does that? <laughs> like that's right. I can imagine it's like uh, the only time of year we do that is with the lulav. Right? There's something holy about walking. Around. The lulav is, is, is symbolizes the spear of the Jewish people. It's like the closest we get. But it's, it's something weird, right? It's, it's like you're sitting there safely and safe and secure in your palace holding on to a spear. It's a total lack of bitachon. Yeah. Right? Meaning it's a sign of incredible, you know, <coughs> you know insecurity and nervousness, and right? We only see but it that after, was after, after he realizes that the malucha is going right. away. Right. It's a, being taken no, the first pasuk is before, is before. It's in uh, number 13. Right, that, the, that was in, with regard to water. That wasn't about <clears throat> holding on to it while he's sitting in the palace. It's true. Right, that's true. But all the, almost all of it comes after. I think that is significant. You're 100% right. As he gets more and more nervous and insecure and, and depressed, he's holding on to his sword and his spear all the time. So that's interesting because I'm doing the Oyu woman's Nachyomi. I'm doing Tehillim. And it talks how they, David, the first time, just cut the corner of Shul's garment. Right. And he was told, Shul was told that it was snag. And then the next time he took his sword, and there was no explanation how his sword could have, his spear could have disappeared. Oh, that's good stuff. Okay, so you're really you're really prepared. You're ahead of ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff. Wow. Um, but it but it but it also shows you right. It's almost like you have to learn all of Tanakh. There are certain mesechtas and gemara like this also. Some yes, some no. But some of them cannot be understood. Um, I think if you remember it was like Baba Kama. Like they said, like they, I remember at the beginning of Yeshiva that year, they said like, you have to take two weeks and learn all of Mishnah, of all of Bavakama, and only then can you go back and learn the Gemara. Because you need to know the end in order to understand the beginning. Like some, it's all, so it's the same thing. You know, to really understand what's happening now, you know, with Shaul and David and Goliath, we need to know the future also. Um, it's a good, but it's, so it's helpful to be learning fast and also slow at the same time. So there's, a, there's really a troubling parallel between Shaul and Goliath. Right, the two, they're both holding on to their spears, right? There's a parallel between them. And so, and tragically, how is Shaul going to die, right? Just like Goliath dies with the sword in his hand, right? They're both going to die, you know, with all their powerful swords, they both die in battle, right? The sword didn't save Goliath and it won't save Shaul. Um, and, and, you know, there's a, there's a real teaching, you know, for our time here as well, right? There are going to be Jews who, instead of putting their faith in Hashem, put their faith in the sword, but I think what we're seeing over and over again, I mean, if it's not clear by now, right, we are the strongest military in the Middle East. It's not even close. And yet we seem to be weaker than we were back when we didn't have any of this. <coughs> it's, like, it's, a, it's hard to understand. You know, so, so says, uh, says Rav Yaakov Moshe Karlap, never we can put in some Neymarom. 
So he says, <laughs> find any excuse. So he says, <laughs> We have to like, get rid of these shackles. <laughs> right, we've got to stand on our feet you know, in, our, our, in our holy land. Also Avraham. Right, when he comes to our land, and I'll make you there. So the Medra says, Forget your, your nation that you're coming from, your father's house. Because this is your master. The only way to truly acquire Eretz Yisrael, right, to be the masters of this land, which Shaul is trying so desperately to do and not succeeding, right, the only way to do it is to, is to throw off all of the culture right, of the other nations. If we're here in our land acting like the other nations, then we won't be able to, we won't really merit the land. <clears throat> the whole od mikusharim min hagim hazarim, the right, the more we, we, we try to be like the other nations, adain, right, in ambegalut, then we're still, even though we're here, we're still somewhat in exile. Kilorak hayetziyah me ha'amim hi ha'shichrur v'hagula, it's not enough just to physically leave the other nations to be free and to have redemption. But rather, even more essential is to leave the, the way of thinking of the nations. To know that only Hashem is the master over the, over the earth. Until we learn that lesson, we're not, we're not going to defeat our enemies here. Right? Shaul never defeats the Plishtim. He dies in the, at the hands of the Plishtim. Who's the one who, who finally defeats the Plishtim? It's David. Right? After David's time, we have other enemies. It's not the Plishtim. Right? The Plishtim are the ones who challenge our sovereignty, as we saw the Vilna Gon says. We saw it last week. Right? It, the only way to defeat them is, is we, have to not, we have to think differently from them. If we're going to have the spear like Shaul has, just like Goliath, if we're going to be indistinguishable from them in that sense, we're never going to defeat them. The only way to defeat them is to be David. I thought this was such an amazing... Torah for what we're learning here. I, you know, it wasn't talking about David and Goliath, but it just and Shaul, but it just it hit me. It's amazing, right? So, you know, th- that's the question for us: Are we going to play according to the rules of the other nations, right? Or, or are we going to and measure our strength purely by our swords, or are we going to look at things differently? So, this was already this was a few weeks. I prepared this a week or two ago. You know, now obviously it's. Who's, who's defense minister Gallant, right? <laughs> but uh, whatever, right? But they, you know, they were, when they were responding to the terror attack in Yerushalayim, right? Bibi says, we'll seal and demolish the terrorist houses in an expedited fashion to exact an additional price from those who supported terrorism, right? And the defense minister says, we'll act decisively and forcefully against anyone who threatens our citizens. Every terrorist will either go to court or the cemetery. Sounds good, right? That's all good. What is it missing? The language of David Amelech. Right? David Amelech said these insults also. He said, I'm going to chop your head off. We could say all of this. There's nothing wrong here. The problem is that it's missing B'Shem Hashem. Right? That Hashem is the one who's going to give us the strength to do this. Right? It's not we, the powerful IDF. That's the problem. It, 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 it's still Shaul HaMelech. Right? Our leadership is Shaul HaMelech. Right? This is the, you know... This is what makes it, to me, this is what makes it so exciting. Like, we're living through this. You know, it's frustrating. Right? How do we get somebody up there who's going right, to talk the language and not just talk it, but believe it, believe in, in the language of David Amel. That's what we need. That's what we need. Right? So we have to follow David's example. So uh, moving on. All right, can you actually know what? Do you want to read a little Ravavinar? Do we have time? I don't know. It's already getting late now. So we'll kill, I'll leave Ravavinair number 20 for everybody for later. Okay, number 21. So, we're, so comes the rout of the plishtim, right? The Vayarat Savid Vayamodala plishti, right? He comes and, he, and, he, and he, uh, he, he cuts off his head and then he routes the plishtim. So the question is, what's, what's happening here, right? We're breaking our word. Didn't Goliath say, send, me, send up a guy. Whoever wins, the other nation will then serve. But just because he said it, so what? We didn't agree to it. He said, send me somebody. Ah, so we're not bound by what he said. Very good, right? The, the, it's what's clear here, knowing the Plishtim, is that they never intended 
to keep such an agreement. Do we really think had Goliath killed David that they would have said, okay, everybody, it's all good now, <laughs> right? Come and uh, pay us some extra tax. You're all our servants. No, <laughs> this was like a bloodthirsty enemy who was ready for war, right? This was not, this was not a, something they ever intended to keep, um, right? Which is, and, and if you remember, go back, you can look at number 22. I put it there again, just to see the, uh, the, right, the agreement, so to speak. But you could argue, what about the, the story of the Givonim? Remember the story of the Givonim in Sefer Yehoshua, where, where they came, they, they lied, they pretended they were from out of the country and they wanted a peace treaty, an agreement, you know, don't hurt us. And really they were actually locals. That, 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 you know, they, so they cheated and they made this whole agreement and the people, the people of Israel swore, right, we're not going to hurt you and that's it, right? And then they immediately find out that they were cheated. So what happens? They abide by the agreement. They don't kill them. Right? They, even though the other side cheated, they, they, they did abide by the agreement. So why are we not obligated to take the high road? Right? Like, doesn't the, the IDF pinpoint attacks? We don't want to, God forbid, hurt anyone who's not a terrorist, even though 71% of them support terrorists. But okay, fine. Right? We, don't, we, we take it to a higher level. We have a high moral level in our military. Right? So shouldn't we be doing, just like we did with the Givonim, if they, even if they weren't going to keep the agreement, we should keep the agreement. So Ravaviner, number 24, I got, got a little messed up with the cutting and pasting. I apologize. Like sometimes uh, when you paste Hebrew, it comes out a little wacky. But essentially he says as follows. He says, There is no moral problem with nullifying an agreement. An agreement of cheaters, right? Doesn't we have no obligation to follow such an agreement, right? The only difference with the givonim is that there was a shvua. The people swore that they would not hurt the givonim. Why did they do that? Well, they thought that these were people from coming from a different country, so what? and they were and they were kind and they seemed genuine and they were tricked. They were tricked, but they did. The point is that they did, and once they swore b'shem Hashem, they were not going to violate that. Right, because of kedushat Hashem, so that the goyim should not say that they've violated their oath. But here there was no oath, right? In general, says Rav Avinir, as you might expect that somebody like Rav Avinir would say, he says, Adarabah, the opposite is true. It's a chil Hashem to follow these agreements. Now he's switching from the givonim to the agreements of Oslo and so on and so forth, right? We see every single day. I saw it yesterday when I was in Harbracha, right? This is the most amazing thing about Harbracha. I mean, the first is an amazing place, Harbracha. Rav Malamed is amazing. And then the Christians there, the Waller family is amazing. They're like best friends with Rav, with Rav Malamed. And they put their lives on the line to help protect the Jews there. It's like unbelievable, these Christians. And these guys are fearless. So they'll go into Huwara in the middle of the night. Like they go, so they showed me when I was there, if you look down at the bottom of the, mount, of the hill from Harbracha, there's a little Palestinian village that just got put up this past year or two. A bunch of beautiful, fancy houses, right? Obviously paid for by the EU, EU us, right? Us. Paid for by the EU, right? It's, it's not land it's, that belongs to the Palestinians. And so it's an illegal land grab. But they just went and grabbed it with EU money and built that there, right? It's unbelievable what the, how the EU is conspiring against us, right? And then they said, but look down at that, look down at that, at that village. What do you see? What looks funny? No cars, no people. It's an empty, fake village. They went into that village. They, there's a video you can find on their YouTube channel where they go into this empty village at night. They go house to house. They show it's empty, right? This, these are the people that we're dealing with, right? Area A, B, C, as if that means anything to them. And so what? We have to, we have to follow that and let them take land, right? So he says, so he says for, right, to give away pieces of, of our land and particularly to people like this who are violating it every single day. Right? It's, one of the, it's, it's one of the tragedies of our time that they're stealing you know, Eretz Yisrael every single day. Right? Just that's regavim, that's their whole, that's what they exist for. And that our government right? doesn't do anything and promises us land and building and... Right, so this is, a, you know, this is, uh, right, can you imagine, right, had the Arabs defeated us in 48, 67, or 73, what they would have done to the Jewish people. Right, so obviously it's not saying that we should always be on their level. We are higher and greater than them, and we're not, we don't believe... You know, we don't have to go in and slaughter the way that they would have. On the other hand, we don't need to be, as they say, friars, right? There's no obligation in the Torah that Jews need to be friars, okay? I think that's the, uh, to me, that was the big teaching that came from this, 
this whole there's a whole sugya and Mefarshim talking about about the givonim and how is it different from this situation. It's like there's so much, but to me that was the main main takeaway. There's the other component of David Amelch that's missing. One is the other is the Jewish pride. Exactly. And that, that's, what, that's what we talked about all last, all last week. Yeah, yeah. It was exactly that. It's just the, the, lack, of, the lack of pride. And then from there comes the lack of strength. But I want to, I know it's running out of time. I want to get back to the Yerushalayim question. Where, how, what's going on? David brings the head of Goliath to Yerushalayim. What in the world is happening? Right? Yerushalayim, he hadn't even conquered Yerushalayim yet. So what's happening here? So a few different approaches. The Radak, number 25. First he brings the head, you know, to display it to Shaul, the king. He went city to city to show the women and the children, the head of Goliath. You see? And like when my father-in-law wanted to do a shechita demonstration of a chicken, you know, it was like you traumatized the whole school, you know? Like in Frisch, they all like that. Everybody became a vegetarian. You know, I'm like, it's amazing. to my daughters. Crazy, right? It's unbelievable. We're, we're a different generation. Back then, they took the head of Goliath, which was a big head, right? I mean, he's a big head. And he carried it around. To, he went to all the cities in Eretz Yisrael. For that alone, it's worth reading this Radak. I just like, just amazing. I just have that image in my mind. Everybody who was not there so that they could see the miracle, right? Ad shehaviyu ad Yerushalayim. Till eventually he brought it to Yerushalayim. But still, what does that mean? They didn't have Yerushalayim yet. You know, so that's one approach. Maybe some years, a few years later, he brings it to Yerushalayim, which tells you that <coughs> as he's running away from Shaul in the desert, we'll get to that, he's, he's, so carry, he's like carrying Goliath's head. <laughs> like I, I just, that image is also amazing. Right? <laughs> then he says, my father, says the Radak, says that Nov, the Ira Koanim, is called Yerushalayim. Uh, no insult to the Radak's father. That doesn't do it for me. I don't know. It says Yerushalayim. Say Nov. It says say Nov. Don't say Yerushalayim. I don't know. It's a, it's a bit of a weak answer. In my opinion, but uh, again, my, my apologies to the Radak's father. The Malbim says, Eventually, it was brought to Yerushalayim. It was a trophy that they kept and eventually brought it there. First Shaul, then they went to all the Arei Yisrael. Then it went to right, Givat Shaul, Shaul's capital in Binyamin. And then eventually they brought it to Yerushalayim. So it could be that, that uh, even though the Yavusim was, were still there, they only had the tower, they didn't have the city. But again, it's weak because we don't find Jews living in Yerushalayim. Nobody says anything about Jews living in Yerushalayim until David conquers it. So it, it's, uh, it's hard to understand, you know, really what this means. It's a little bit unsatisfying. And what makes all this, you know, so, so mysterious and powerful is that it's one of the very first times, as I mentioned before, that Yerushalayim is mentioned. You know, that's significant. It doesn't even say Yerushalayim in the Torah, right? In, in Devarim, when it's, ta- you know, in Parshas Re'eh, when it talks about the place that I will choose. And here, Yerushalayim is thrown in as if, right? So, so Rav Bachrach, he says, I'm still looking for some, for some source to support my idea. But Lahar Gashati, I feel... At this moment, David is in a high, he's in a lofty place. His head is in a place that the rest of the nation is not there, right? He's, he's got a vision. He's got the Ruach Hashem. And he steps aside. The whole, everybody's going crazy. The battle's happening. They're routing the plishtim. They're taking spoils. We can imagine, right? It's a balagan. David pauses, Right? And, and he steps away from the, the chauffeur blowing of, of, we won, we won. And, and then, El Yerushalayim Hu Im Mikdash Asher David is already thinking and dreaming about Yerushalayim. It doesn't mean physically that he brought a head to Yerushalayim. There's nowhere to bring it to in Yerushalayim yet. David is thinking about the future, right? And that's what's amazing about David Amelech. We're going to talk about this, God willing, in the next series before Shavuos, it's just no matter what he's going through, it, like he never loses sight of, of his end goal. What is David's end goal? What does he want to do more than anything else in the world? He wants to build the base of Mikdash. That's his whole life goal. So he brought his own head to Yerushalayim. He was thinking, thinking right. His head was in, his head was in Yerushalayim. He brought it to Yerushalayim in his head, right? He brought it there, meaning that was like, he's already, as he's killing Goliath, it's not about killing Goliath and oh, I'm a war, I'm a war hero. It's not about him. It's all about Hashem. That's what's so incredible about David, 
Right? He's the most unbelievable man. I, 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 if I had to choose one person, it's enough to me. Right? How could it, it's like almost like if, if Moshe doesn't seem real, how, David sometimes doesn't. Maybe Bathsheba, the whole thing there is just to make him seem real to us, that he's a real person. Because uh, he kills Goliath and all he's thinking about is Yerushalayim. To me, I, you know, I, I think like Rav Bachrach says, there's no source for it, but it feels right. It feels right. We're, are we almost there? The time? It's nine o'clock? Okay. So, you know, it's... Uh, it's definitely not shot, but it feels right. Definitely not shot, but it feels right. Exactly. So we have to finish because Marv is waiting. But uh, there's a whole amazing piece here. Maybe we'll pick it up next time. But, but when David comes to Shaul, Shaul's like, who is this guy? It's like he never met David before. Which is one of the great... That's actually the, the biggest question of our parak that gets the most commentary. We didn't even have time to get to it. Which is, what do you mean, who's David? He's your beloved David who's been playing music in your house. What's going on? How do we understand that? So I guess, uh, you know, leave everybody with a painful question. You're going to go crazy, you know, try to... So you have the source sheets with you. If you can figure it out on your own, there's a bunch of good, uh, good answers here. But maybe we'll recap it, God willing, next time. But, uh, we'll have five questions for the Seder, not four. Exactly. <laughs> At the very least, we had to... We, had to we, needed, we needed Goliath's head on a stick, and then we can go into Pesach. So we did that, we did that. Okay.